What can we talk about? What about, oh my gosh, what about your honeymoon? Uh, terrifying. Hawaii just blew up. Did you see the conspiracies about Hawaii? No, but I did read some of the stories yesterday and I'm very sad. It made me very sad. Yeah. So our plan is to go to the big island, which also caught fire. Yeah, I that saw same that. same day. Yeah. And I was initially following on TikTok and now it seems like Twitter, like a week later, Twitter is repeating a lot of what TikTok was saying, but it's interesting the tone difference. So like on TikTok, there's a lot of people saying it was like aliens. <laughs> what? Or an attack by another country. Oh my. Um, and there were like people falsely posting pictures because one of the pictures they I saw a video where they were like, this picture actually existed way before before the fire. So like this picture isn't really accurate at all. And then a lot of people, I guess earlier in the year, maybe Hawaii there, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember. There was like these green lasers looking lights in the sky. And the report was that it was like some sort of satellite that analyzes for like things in the atmosphere or something of that nature. And people were like, very skeptical about that. And then the fire. So they're like, oh my God, are these things related? And and there's also been a lot of UAP sightings over Hawaii, which is not new. That's that's recorded as well. So there's all these like theories that's aliens, that it's government attacking another government, yada, yada, yada. And so like it was very conspiratorial, which was fun. I like that. But now it's turned into a lot of boomers and QAnon. Being like, <laughs> the Biden administration's hiding it from us. Good it's Lord. like, well, I'm, I'm not entirely sure Biden knows anything that's going on. Uh, yeah, that's really funny. I because I obviously stay away from all of that. And I had no idea because right now in the real world, in the real news cycle, the blame is starting to be pointed towards the electrical companies in Hawaii. Oh, really? Yes, because they, apparently there were literally like power lines that were sparking fires earlier in the day. And then they were, quote unquote, 100 percent contained. And then the fire started. So the New York Times has a picture of what they believe to be the literal power line that started the whole thing. So, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. I've, I've been to Lahainai and I don't know, I'm probably saying it wrong. And it's wild because it was so historical. And mm -hmm. Hawaii has always pushed for its own independence. And it's always been like this pawn in colonialism. Yeah. And it's a bummer. And then that island was just so significant of when independence they did have. And now that history, like while probably still be passed down, you know, Oh yeah. In other capacities, it's just sad. Those landmarks are gone. Yes. Yes. And I don't know, the conspiracy should be about how apparently a bunch of people didn't get warnings, even though, their warning system is tested every month. Like it's one of those kind of things. That, that's part of what is fueling yeah. the conspiracies is like 
the lack of reporting and the mainstream media, a lot of Islanders are saying like from their experience, like the things that don't add up. It's just like a lot of compounding things that I think would happen in any tragedy. So it's hard to yeah. figure out like what's normal, what's not normal. Yeah, but I don't, that's not a conspiracy. That's just like failure of a standard normal failure of government and companies. Yeah, but then, the, you know, the argument would be like, why did that fail? Like what if something like that is tested so regularly, yeah, like they yeah. must have wanted this terrible thing uh, to happen or for it to be more tragic than it was. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, there's this yeah. like, we are never going to know. We don't no. have the answer. And we should probably put a donation link. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Ugh. In the uh, description. You haven't bought your tickets yet, have you? Are you going to rethink your plan? Or? Well, I'm still going to go. It's the big island. Yeah. It doesn't affect your vacation. Oh, God. Don't do that. No, no. <laughs> I just I <laughs> just wanted to. Never mind. Jesus Christ, Molly. That was actually, this wasn't supposed to be a negative intro. It was really well, supposed to be. Well, now I'm a colonizer. <laughs> Great. No. Well, I'm not the only one. <sighs> oh, yeah. As today's episode we will talk a lot about that in my section great welcome to sex with ghosts i'm bridget here with my historian on all artifacts ever molly wow that's quite the title i am really excited today to be joined by bridget who's the foremost expert on all things skull yeah we uh we co-wrote this one or researched this so we will be passing the baton today but we are talking skulls before I brought this topic to you, had you heard anything about this? Absolutely nothing, um, except for I did see the Tomb of the Crystal Skull. Is that what it's called? I don't even know what it's called. I think I saw it. Oh, really? Right? The crystal. Jesus Christ. But I mean, you went to the actual, like... Indiana. No, no, no. I saw the movie. Oh. Movie. <laughs> The Kingdom, yes. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Was it worth seeing? No, but I was, I mean, <laughs> I do find Shia LaBeouf to be a fun actor, you know? Yeah, I, as problematic as he is, I do <laughs> yes. like watching him, which is not great. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's a pretty easy one to separate the art from the artist kind of thing like because he's just an insane person like i don't really care what he's doing in his regular life if he's a good actor but i don't know maybe that's just oh me. wow <laughs> molly does not care about victims oh. of abuse no i i suppose i should be more but he just seems like he just seems like the classic, like, he's a victim and a perpetrator kind of thing. Like, oh, definitely. But I mean, you got to have that narrative if you're going to keep working. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's fair. Um, and another actor who 
is involved in these crystal skulls is Dan Aykroyd. I, I had heard somewhere that this is what his vodka is vodka is crystal skull vodka. Oh, yeah. And this lore is, I think, somehow tied to that. God. I did not do that research. I just heard that. And I was like, that sounds true because Dan Aykroyd is well known for buying into a lot of paranormal stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me, especially. And it's funny to think about this kind of stuff because the acting population isn't like some special population. It's just kind of, I mean, besides the people who are like the actors aren't smarter than us. Yes, or, exactly. Yes. That's yeah. what I'm saying. They just have more wealth to yeah. spread their terrible ideas. <laughs> like the, yeah, because like there's obviously also a, a large population of normal people who believe in that stuff too. So it's like, of course there's going to be some yeah. crossover. It's either going to make you like the more or less. Yeah. So these crystal skulls are kind of known. Yeah. And I mean, thousands now are produced, I guess, every year in Brazil, China, and Germany. It reminds me of like every single, in Monterey at least, there are so many people who, you know, sell their little knickknacks in the touristy spots. It's like, what's the point? But like people like the imagery and fun. I, I don't really get it, but. I mean, people do like terrible souvenirs. Yes. And like, especially if it's tied to mysticism. I I thought about that when we were in New Orleans. Like, yes, yes. It's like you're still buying junk. Right. But it's like, because we know at this point that it's mass produced. Yeah. It's not like you hired a dude to yes. carve a skull for you. You've like clearly mass manufactured. And so like, it's weird. We as humans are just out of our minds i think so when it comes to tying sentimental feelings towards objects especially objects that are not uniquely made yes but these skulls are controversy among archaeologists scientists spiritualists and museum officials for more than a century they have the more rare crystal skulls that we're going to be talking about are in a lot of private and public collections uh, some are crystal clear, some are smoky or colored quartz. Some of them are like a milky white quartz. It's mostly a crystalline mineral composed of silica. Some are actual human size with very fine detail. Others are smaller, less refined. The idea is that they all are believed to be originated from Mexico and Central America. Were you able to look at, I'm guessing you looked at pictures of these? Yes. Um, and I definitely saw the larger crystal ones. And of course, I've seen it in pop culture quite a bit. And also, we're going to get into more of the conspiracy weirdo stuff later, but the idea that a, a white person would see a skull and link it to Central and South America isn't completely bonkers because there is a lot of skull imagery in those cultures. So I get it somewhat, but we'll come to see that it, it isn't necessarily <laughs> related at all. Yeah, I mean, it's a good scam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm I was surprised how 
how well they like look like looking at it now from like a modern lens. I was like, this was made when? Like, yeah, yes. They look really, really well made. Yes. I also had that feeling as well, because it's like, even if we're like debunking this crystal skull nonsense or whatever, it's still a piece of art, a really beautiful piece of art. And we should be celebrating it for that. And like to to see that now, I would be like, oh, you know, there's so many modern ways to make things. To see that but like yes, in the yes. 1800s, I could see how you'd be like, oh, this is very mystical. Yeah, because you can't believe that someone could have made that. Yeah. So many believe that these were carved thousands or even tens of thousands of years ago by ancient Mesoamerican uh, civilization. Other things that they might be relics from Atlantis or proof that uh, extraterrestrials visited the Aztec. And I they did appear on, I think, it is the Ancient Aliens episode. I did see some connection with aliens for sure. But as we've mentioned before, like that whole idea of it must have been aliens because ancient civilizations couldn't have done these kind of things also is problematic. Oh, um, in so many ways, like colonialism really destroyed a lot of like cultures. So we don't even understand how some things were done just because literally white people <laughs> showed up and destroyed the process of how it was done. Oops. Um, so, yeah. We're fucking losers. And I mean that inherently, not that we are out being losers now, but lineage being a part of this culture, Western imperialism, we're fucked. So because these are so well constructed, a lot of people believe that they must have supernatural powers. There's theories that uh, there's paranormal involved, enabling the gift of premonitions, cure diseases be able to predict catastrophes uh, like the end of the Mayan calendar, the oh Bakhtun cycle. There was a book written about them called Mystery of the Crystal Skulls Revealed. And the author of this book cites claims of healings and expanded psychic abilities from people who have been in the presence of such skulls. The book is quoted as saying, we believe the crystal skulls are a form of a computer which are able to record energy and vibration that occur around them. The skull will pictorially replay all the events and images of people who have come in contact with them, i.e. they contain the history of the world. Sound like the stone tape theory much? And I didn't really look into this too much, but I just have a question for you. What do you think? I'm not really understanding why this is any different besides like the art. Like it feels like these people who believe in this crystal skull thing should just look at crystals, right? Because that's like exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like that Winnie the Pooh meme where it's like, <laughs> I like crystals and this is like poo. And then it's like, I like crystals that are in the shape of a skull and it's like Pooh wearing a suit <laughs> yeah. or a tuxedo. Yeah, it, it just feels like an extra step that you really don't need that makes it like all that much more unbelievable. Well, sure. But I mean, if people are pitching this, it's like these are and for a long time they were and it was 
in museums, which for a lot of people, Mm -mm. you know, ratifies that this is real. And so like they're seeing this and they're like, oh, crystals, magical. Yeah. But like some human made this into a skull, probably do some crazy spiritual stuff. Like this has to, like this all makes sense. I suppose. But it's like, I don't know. We like to suck our own popsicle sticks, as they say. Nice. Like Molly said, the skulls are prominent in a lot of ancient Mesoamerican artwork, specifically the Aztec. So it does make sense that people are making these connections between the crystal skulls and, oh, this is why they're found in this part of the world. Um, There's Aztec monoliths made from volcanic rock. There's skull masks of obsidian, capuchon, and jade. Both the Aztec and the Mayans displayed human skulls on a rack known as Sampantli, encapsulating the practice into stone at such sites as Chichen Itza. Did I say that right? Yep, you did. Where a large carved Zampantli displays over 500 boss relief skulls. According to Michael Smith, who's a professor of anthropology at Arizona State University, it was a symbol of regeneration. There were several Aztec gods that were represented by skulls. So they were probably invoking these gods. I don't think they were supposed to have specific powers or anything like that. And before we go on, it also reminds me that other cultures also, it does seem like it is one of those most cultures do have skull imagery in their art and history. Like, I think it's a pretty human thing. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, we see skulls throughout art history, for sure. Right? Yeah. I think the other reason a big part of this is tied to Mesoamerica is because during the 19th century... There was a lot of public and scholarly interest in Mesoamerican sites. And this actually led to a lot of fake pre-Columbian artifacts. The trade was so problematic that a Smithsonian archaeologist, William Henry Holmes, wrote an article in 1886 called The Trade in Spurious Mexican Antiquities. Yeah, they were even aware of it way back then. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> like this is this is getting nuts. Everybody's saying this is from Mesoamerica, so that's part of it, right? Like, we we as humans already have an interest in skull iconography, but then you add that into the colonization of Mesoamerica, and people are trying to be like, well, actually, let's look into it historically, <laughs> and people with money want to collect that, so we've now created a market that didn't really exist before, and now. Well, have an accompanying myth or legend tied to it. And some of this kind of goes back to Eugene Boban. He started his life from humble beginnings in Paris. He traveled to California during the gold rush and later became recognized as authority on pre-Columbian cultures. In 1857, and a French antiquarian, an art dealer, and official archaeologist of the court of Maximilian I of Mexico. So this is Boban. He was all of these things. 
he headed an expedition commissioned by Napoleon III to collect Mexican art and artifacts. And he exhibited his finds at Trocadero, where he was reported to have displayed a collection of crystal skulls. After opening a shop in New York, Boban sold a crystal skull to an American entrepreneur, George H. Sisson, then passed to George F. Kuntz and displayed at the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Now, why would this crystal skull be displayed at an association for the advancements of science? I think it's just the fact that you have like a very detailed artifact that's like, oh, clearly they must have had technology Mm. back then that we are not aware of. And so it's on display Ah. as though like saying, this is a display of advanced technology that we didn't think existed at this time. Okay, I get it. That makes sense. The skull is then auctioned off by Tiffany and Company to a British museum in 1898. And then it was there placed on display as an Aztec artifact. Boban then sold another crystal skull to a French ethnologist and collector, Alphonse Pinart, who donated the skull to Trocadero Museum, it is now displayed at the Musée du Quebec. I think we can jump into what I like to call rich people shit. (laughs) So this is a story about a very specific skull. It's the Mitchell Hedges skull. This is also known as the Mitchell Hedges God's Head skull, the skull of doom, the skull of knowledge, or the skull of love. And this I got my information from the Archaeology Magazine Archive, which has a wonderful article about this skull with every single detail ever about it. Oh, nice. It's so interesting because, like, they talk about the facts, but then they also just have this whole page on the fictionalized history of the skull, which is very funny. And that's where I'm going to have most of my information. So thank you, Archive of Archaeology. This skull was claimed to have been discovered inside a temple in Lubatan, Belize, in 1924 by Anna Mitchell Hedges, the adopted daughter of the adventurer Frederick Albert Mitchell Hedges. But the story of when and how she found the skull varies with many of her vast retellings. Oh, she never told the same story twice. She did not tell the same story twice. Did she discover it beneath the stones of a collapsed altar atop a pyramid? Or was she lowered down into a cave beneath or inside a pyramid to retrieve it? This is like girl bossing. Yes. These events take place in many different years as well. 1924 is what she settles on. But it could also have happened in 1926, 1927, and 1928. And these contrast with her father's version of the, tel- of the discovery, which places it in the 1930s. Oh, this is wild. The dad's involved, <laughs> and we didn't even, like, agree on a year. Yep. Uh, one of the earlier written records was from a local Bournemouth paper called The Echo on May 31st of 1941. 
Quote, the remarkable thing about the skull, confided Mr. Mitchell Hedges, is that scientists are of the opinion that it dates back to 1600 BC, and it was made by at least five generations working from father to son to shape it out of a block of rock crystal by rubbing it down with sand. Mr. Mitchell Hedges found it when he led a British expedition to uncover traces of the lost Maya civilization in Central America in the 1930s. It had been taken by the high priest into the depths of the temple where he concentrated on it and willed death. Wait, so was it like originally the daughter's scam and then the dad was like, that should be my scam? Originally, it was the dad's scam. After he dies, it becomes the daughter's scam. And after she dies, spoiler alert, it becomes her husband's scam. Nice. This is a scam you can pass down. I love this. So five years after making these claims, Mitchell Hedges writes his memoir, Danger, My Ally. And he talks about the skull slightly, but not about his finding of it in Central America. He says in the book, it is at least 3,600 years old and according to legend was used by a high priest of the Maya when performing esoteric rites. When the high priest willed death with the help of the skull, death inevitably followed and it has been described as the embodiment of evil. I do not wish to try to explain this phenomenon. It's so interesting that like the theme of we were just like willed death. This is like, it just, it just seems so, such a weird, like, well, what's the most tragic thing could happen? Somebody who just wants people to die. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, this is like a time where like people will just push you in the street. <laughs> just to watch you die. A lot of lead, I think maybe. But I do appreciate how the disco will evolve, obviously. And it is no longer uh, a death skull, luckily. The archaeology magazine has recorded the letters of Anna Mitchell Hedges and a man named Frederick Dockstetter, who is the then director of the Museum of the American Indian in New York City between 1964 and 1973. So most of these come in the 60s. So it's been 20 years since her father's original discussion of this skull. Doc Stetter initially contacts Anna on March 4th of 1964, writing, I was delighted to recently have a visitor who had just come from a chat with you. This was a welcome opportunity for me to learn that a relative of Mr. Mitchell Hedges was living, and I'm taking the liberty of directing this note to you. It seems Archaeology Today believes he may have been courting Anna, who he assumed to be the heir of the estate, and hoping that the daughter might donate more artifacts. Oh, nice. I like that. Anna responds quickly on March 10th, writing, I am Sammy of the book, and I, together with Jane, father's secretary, used to accompany father when he came to the museum. Were you there then, and do you remember us? The first letter talks mostly about a Russian icon called the Black Version of Kazan, which was exhibited at New York's World Fair. It was later revealed to be a copy of the original icon, but Anna was attempting to sell it. 
I like this. The scam goes beyond the skulls, folks. Oh, yes, that it does. Is, this is what you need in your repertoire if you're going to be a true scammer. And then as the archaeology magazine says, in almost an afterthought, she adds, when I came out, when I come out from England, it is so that I can take the skull of doom, which is the only thing my father ever kept from any of the expeditions. It is made of pure rock crystal and is over 3,600 years old. I am taking it out so that research may be done, and I hope that it too may one day find a home where it will be revered by all who see it. That's interesting. Because she obviously has a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But this is the one that she's like, must be feeling like she could pawn off or... Yes, because in July of 1964, she... Signs an agreement with Dorland to prov- promote the skull for its eventual sale with an asking price of not less than $50,000. Do you know what that would be today? I do not know. $50,000 in 1964 seems like a lot. Oh, yeah. Is worth $492,000. So almost $500,000. Okay. So almost half a million. Mm hmm. Three months after the contract is signed, Anna types the statement, a statement about the skull. It's titled Mitchell's Hedges, God's Head Skull, Mayan Skull of Divine Mystery. (laughs) It sounds like some in a Kurt Vonnegut book. (laughs) Yes, it's all very fantastical. Quote, estimated by the British Museum to be at least 3000 years old, which like she's obviously she's changed. She changes every detail of the story every time she writes. But that's fine. You know, you just do yeah, it. Yeah, I think if you're putting in writing that that's a big takeaway is keep the story consistent. <laughs> you would really think so. It was, quote, found by Anna Mitchell Hedges in British Honduras in 1928. Her one of her sorry, in the ruins of an abandoned Mayan complex. The document also claims that the skull has special powers, including that it wards off the evil eye and carries protections from heaven, being white crystal and highly polished. It defeats all evils of witchcraft and is a benevolent divine magic dealing with the heaven and angelic forces. I wonder how, how do you get that information? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Did you talk to... There wouldn't wouldn't have been like a Mayan priest to talk to. Right, exactly. It seems very, very sketchy. The archaeology magazine reports that this seems to be the first date in 1964 when she claims to have found the skull herself. Oh. There's no um, record of that part of the story being told before then. And um, the statement appears to have the intent of establishing the history that can be verified solely by Anna Mitchell's hedges, since all the people involved in her adopted father's expeditions were dead by then. I mean, that's that's when you want to start making you the main story of your story. You know, like I'm the main character of my story because there's no one to say otherwise. Yes. And Dorland uses this description and then um, what archaeology magazine estimates must have come from her father's newspaper descriptions 
since no source indicates the British Museum ever estimated the age of the skull. So they're using the newspaper to verify, <laughs> if you recall, that he said scientists researched this, but there's, there's no record of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, by 1970, Anna Mitchell Hedges and Frank Dorland have a falling out because of the publications where he is making these outlandish claims for the skull. So, because he's like saying stuff and he's like, everybody is making fun of me <laughs> and saying I'm wrong. Am I wrong? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> At that point, um, of course, the fact that he has not found a buyer yet. Yeah. I think that's probably the larger of the two is like, I said all this stupid shit because he told me it's true. And now no one wants to buy this stupid thing. <laughs> At that point, he proposes that he and Anna should collaborate on a book to be written by novelist Richard Garvin, who will then make, well, this is, this is the quote. I have convinced Dick Garvin, who does sell, it is worth the percentage to you and me and you to furnish the information. This makes it a better book, makes more money all the way around. The skull is not sold. It is put to use in this manner and for public appearances to boost sales and interest. So they're going to write the book to make money and also boost interest in the skull. Oh, my God. <laughs> this feels like such... Like, how many things in capitalism you think start out this way? Yeah, yeah. Did you mention Garvin's book, The Crystal Skull? Um, no, the book, I don't think it's the same book. The book okay. I... Oh, no, Crystal Skulls Revealed. Yeah, but I'm sure they cited this book. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. So Garvin's book is called The Crystal Skull and was published in 1973 and reports that the skull, it is claimed, was discovered rather recently in a Louboutin tomb, part of the abandoned ruins of an enormous Mayan citadel in British Honduras. The year was 1927. That blows my mind. Just thinking about even the modern differences between 1927 and 1963, like women couldn't vote. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, I guess they could vote, but they couldn't divorce their husbands. They couldn't have, like, credit cards in 1927. It's, it's like, just so strange that, like, to know both times, like, oh, this just happened in 1927. But to me, like, 1927 feels like a hundred years difference. It does. It does. From 1963. But luckily, women can be scamming. Oh, yeah. Women be way. scamming. You get, girl. Another written note to Docstetter by Anna says, I'm a little hazy about the exact date, but we started the expedition in 1926 and left before the rainy season in 1927. You know, it's like we just found this skull. I just know it <laughs> happened around this time. I mean, who can remember the exact date you find a crystal skull? Who can? Who We're can? We're just discovering so many um, artifacts. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> As I mentioned before, she eventually settles on the year 1924 and specifically cites it was her 17th birthday, which was January 1st. Which is also probably made up because <laughs> who's born on January 1st, except yes. for a flim flam woman. 
the magazine notes, it seems odd that you would have a hazy memory of such a momentous birthday discovery. Agreed. Also notes that it is interesting that her father never mentioned that Anna found the skull. Huh. Well, why would he give her credit? She's a girl. <laughs> and um, also never even mentions that she was along on the expedition. Huh. That is interesting. So by 1971, Doc Setter is thinking about attempting to exhibit this skull instead. But he is concerned because there is a book uh, published in 1970 called Phrenology. And it is written by Sybil Leake, who is a British witch. But in this book, Leake claims that Mitchell Hedges brought the skull from London to Central America and that it may have originally belonged to the Knights Templar. Oh, those guys. Okay. And so Doc Sitter is upset. And now he's like, what are the actual origins? Because this woman wrote a book and claims that they was belong to the Templars. I like how this guy probably knew she was like lying to him the entire time. Yeah. But then like because he wasn't making money, <laughs> this is like his way of like separating himself from the controversy of it. Like no one's buying this. No one believes the story. So now I can't pretend to believe the story anymore. Yeah. Notes in the British. Uh, so docs that are attempting to make this crystal skull be the centerpiece of an exhibition called The Skull in Indian Art has records from British museum files that indicate archaeologists and curators were worried about Dockstetter exhibiting the skull without knowing its history. Yeah. So he's trying to do this, but it doesn't sound like the British Museum is going to go for it. <laughs> Good on them. <laughs> yes. So then, of course, Anna Mitchell Hedges writes another statement of fact typed on official looking letterhead. Man, remember when letterhead meant something? Like, yes, this obviously is real because it is on letterhead. Like in the last couple of years, I've I've written like a letter of recommendation for someone. And and it was like one of the stipulations like this must come on the letterhead. And yes, I was thinking, yes, why does that matter? Like I was able to get the letterhead because it was yeah. from like a previous job. But I was like, this is insane that this is still a qualification for like when everything is digital now and you can replicate any image, it's just like, yep. what is, what are we doing? It's very silly. I have to do that in accounting a lot and it is very silly. Yeah. But back to Anna's statement of fact, her official statement of fact, official it's on statement letterhead, of fact. baby quote, the rock crystal skull was discovered by me upon one of my father's expeditions to the Labaton during 1926 slash 1927. I found the skull itself after we had cleared a very heavy wall which had fallen on the altar, which we also moved. The rocks were so heavy that we were only able to move about five to six a day. Oh, God. Not having, <laughs> not having the equipment at hand today. It was there for another three months before I found the jaw, which was about 25 yards away from the skull. This was my father's expedition. Therefore, the rock crystal skull was his with us on this expedition was a lady richmond brown deceased convenient jane harvey holson 
father's secretary, deceased. Convenient. Captain Captain C.C. Joyce, British Museum director, deceased. Oh, you don't say. Dr. Gann, Mr. Took, who is a British painter, and myself. Okay, so she's got two people alive who she's obviously paying off. Yes. Also, we'll talk a little bit more about Dr. Gann in a second. Nice. So, yes. According to Mitchell Hedges himself, in his 1931 book, Land of Wonder and Fear, the party who first discovered Louboutin consisted of Lady Richmond Brown, which she mentioned. Oh, apparently H.S. Took was dead as well. She just failed to mention that. Convenient. He was probably like on his deathbed as she was writing the letter. <laughs> and Dr. Gann and himself. So there's some differences between the groups, but they both do have Gann who is alive. So here's uh, where we'll get a little bit more information about him. He had actually published notes about the ruins in 1903. Soon tight. Thank you. So presumably he's the one who led the party there in 1924, which is also confusing because of the whole dates thing. But since Gann wrote 1924, I think that's why Anna Mitchell Hedges settles on 1924 because it's the only thing that actually ties them oh, yeah. to the exhibition. In his book, Gann's book, Mystery Cities, Exploration and Adventure, and Adventure in Lava Tun, he published in um, 1925. This means that it had to have happened in 1924. He notes that Frederick Mitchell Hedges and Lady Brown had arrived a few days ahead of him. But, quote, not knowing either Spanish or Ketchchi, had been unable to hire any labor for cleaning bush over the ruins. So had been marking time till I turned up. Both were feeling rather gloomy, as the previous day, Hedges had been obliged to shoot Michael, a pet ape, which they were both very much attached to, as he had eaten some sort of poisonous irritant in the bush, which brought on diarrhea, vomiting, and intense pain. His end, however, was painless, and he was accorded the honor of a burial beneath one of the ancient Mayan pyramids of Lubatan. So here's where the magazine notes it. Seems like maybe gone pay details. It's like, (laughs) what the fuck? It it seems weird that he mentioned the pet ape, but he did not even mention the presence of Mitchell Hedges' daughter, Anna. Well, she wasn't eating poisonous leaves. She was, and she didn't have to. She shit herself in front of everybody. Yes. (laughs) So perhaps that's why she was not mentioned. No mention for you. But Mitchell Hedges had rewrote his book in 1954 where he mentions that his daughter came along the exhibitions so somehow between his original publishing of danger my ally his daughter convinces him or he remembers that his daughter came on the expedition well women were getting more riots he wanted to stay woke (laughs) he's like you know what i'm gonna say you were there and that'll get the women's sales up But the magazine believes most of these um, rewrites are fabrications because there are numerous newspaper accounts describing 
Lady Richmond Brown and Mitchell Hedges on their expeditions. So if she had really come with them, they would have been in these newspaper articles. Yeah, they they're getting paid by the words, so they're going to be putting in as much information as they can. Before we stop for today, I'll just give you a little side story about um, Lady Richmond Brown and Mitchell Hedges, because there's a little bit of a fun drama. Drama. So she was a very rich woman. She bankrolled nearly all of the travels of her and Mitchell Hedges. She purchased their yacht, the Cara. So were they like a couple? Mm, that's very interesting because on June 11th, 1930, a New York Times article noted that Lady Richmond Brown was being sued for divorce by her husband, Sir Melville Richmond Brown. And he named Mitchell Hedges as the co-respondent. Oh, spent too much time with my wife. Yeah. You take her. And, um, but interestingly enough, her husband also, Sir Melville Richmond Brown, was also married to someone else at the time, a Lillian Agnes Clark. Wait, he was double married? <laughs> he was double married. So how does that work? Um, I'm not sure, but there is a couple of double marriages here. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. What a wild time. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Okay, so her husband, sorry. So at this time, when Sir Melville Richmond Brown sues for divorce to Lady Richmond Brown, Mitchell Hedges is married to Lillian Agnes Clark. Oh. So that's his wife. Okay. However, Mitchell Hedges and Lady Richmond Brown have traveled together for at least a decade. So it's like 10 years of this, and he's like, you know what, I'm, I think I'm done. Yes. Mitchell Hedges and Lady Richmond Brown, who are both married to other people, take expeditions throughout the 20s. So it's the 20s to the 30s. The guy files for a divorce in 1930. And then, for whatever reason, Mitchell Hedges and Brown are not married, but they stop hanging out together in 1938 when he finds out that he had married another woman besides his first wife, who was the little... She finds out. Lady, Lady Richmond, Richmond Brown, Brown finds out yes. that Mitchell Hedges actually has two wives. Two wives. And the second marriage happened in 1938 to a dancer named Dorothy Cop. So Cop actually ends up divorcing Mitchell Hedges Soon after, in, 18, in 1938, after a life-threatening jungle honeymoon. But all this actually will be important next week because that will have more to do with a, um, some of the uh, information about the skull and how it came into possession and how people... Um, oh. Yes. Okay. Fun story. So there we go. Yep. A little bit of a teaser. Until next week, where can people find you, Molly? You can find me on the internet at MollyMM9. How about you? You can find me at Bridget underscore Suckit. You can find this podcast at SexWithGhosts underscore. You can show support by giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And you can show further support by going to patreon.com slash sexwithghosts. Thank you, Molly, for joining me on this Crystal's Skull story. Yes. The Mitchell Hedges Bridget was the one who introduced me to 
the rich people shit. And I was like, you know what? I have to know more. So then I did the digging. Love it. There's even more. There's even more to come next week, which is fun. You got any good teasers? Uh, well, the, the husband of Anna is still alive and still doing um, work. Whoa. And still did an interview with the Indie Star on July 23rd of this year. Oh, my God. Okay. That's awesome. I'm excited. Yes. All right. Well, until next week. Adios. Bye. Bye.